0: Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Judges tonight. The book of Judges, chapter 6 or 7. I have both. Uh, if you want to open to Judges chapter 6 first, you may be wondering why I have two, uh, two sermon outlines here. It's because I know you love my preaching so much you want to stay twice as long tonight. Now right. so we've been studying through the book of Judges and uh, we're going to finish up the story of Gale, uh last uh, week, last time we were able to uh, look at this together. And uh, next in the uh, order of events is the story of Gideon. And uh, one of the things that I, I try to do in my preaching, first of all, I try to be Planned. Um, I try not to be reactionary in my preaching. I try to try to seek the Lord's will about uh, what He would have me preach in the days ahead, and uh, be at least somewhat planning ahead uh, about that. Of course, I always want to be sensitive to the Lord's leading. Things uh, sometimes the Lord uh, changes at the last minute. I try to follow that. Uh, but another thing that I try to do is I, I try not to preach reruns. Um, I try not to you know, microwave old sermons and just you know, use them again. And uh, it just so happens that back in May of 2021, I preached on the story of Gideon from Judges chapter 6 and covered that whole chapter in a message entitled From Fear to Faith. I know you remember that. I don't need to tell you about that, right? Um, no, I know that some of you are not here for that. And, um, and so, what I want to do is I just I want to kind of review that. Um, And because it really does set the stage for chapter 7. So we're just going to review the events of chapter 6, and then we're going to look at chapter number 7 tonight. What we'll do, Brother Riff will help me remember this, I'd like to uh, put that sermon audio uh, from the old sermon on uh, the podcast this week, so folks can go back and listen to that uh, in its entirety, um, if they would like to. Uh, So let's first of all begin in Judges chapter 6 tonight. And uh, then, we'll, uh, then we'll jump into chapter 7 after a little bit of review and, and look at the uh, uh, main events there. Well, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us, uh, give us understanding of your word. You said that the Holy Spirit would be our guide. That he would uh, lead us into the truth. That he would help us discern. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to, to do that right now. Help us to learn from the story of Gideon how to have faith in spite of the odds, in spite of the circumstances, to be willing to trust you, be willing to follow your leading, whatever that might mean. Lord, that you would do great works through our lives to glorify yourself. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges chapter 6 and verse number 1 says And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. As we've been studying through the book of Judges, we have seen that the book of Judges records a vicious cycle that happened over and over and over again. During this time in Israel's history, it spans about 400 years from the time that they finally entered into and conquered initially the promised land until the first king, King Saul, was Uh, was anointed over the nation. During that 400-year time period, it was characterized essentially by spiritual anarchy, especially as you get later in the book. There are two verses that say, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In the first chapters of the book, it kind of gives us a summary of what's going to happen throughout the book what you see is that the children of Israel turn from God and they begin to worship idols and they begin to follow the practices of the heathen cultures around them. And because of their sin, God would punish them. God would send foreign armies to invade them and to oppress them uh, for sometimes decades. And eventually the children of Israel would get tired of the hardship and they would realize that they needed to change their ways. They would repent, they would call upon the Lord, and the Lord would have mercy, and he would raise up a judge who would deliver them. And this judge was uh, not like a judge in a court of law, but he was kind of a, a uh, both a military and a civil leader, and also, to some extent, a religious leader. And as you go through the book of Judges, one of the things you see is that these judges Many of them were very flawed people. We're going to see that about the story of Gideon, Lord willing, uh, uh, maybe next week. But but even Gideon, who we typically think of, he's a great guy, really didn't end very well. Samson's another classic example of that. You know, uh, we, we enjoy his story. It's exciting. It's fun. We love seeing the flannel graphs and all of those sorts of things from Sunday school. But really, when you look at his life, he was... He was not the kind of guy whose character you would want to copy. And you come away reading the book of Judges with a, a sense of just disappointment, thinking along these lines, is that the best we can do? Really? The, these people, were, they were the best that could lead Israel at the time? That's it? That's all we had. And really, I believe that is God's design. Because the whole purpose, or one of them, is through the book of Judges, is to leave us longing for someone better to deliver us. With the understanding that we need a deliverer that is better than our best. And that, of course, leads us ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're at a point in time where we read in verse number one, the children of Israel eat did evil in the sight of the Lord again. They had had 40 years of peace after uh, the leadership of of Deborah and after the victory that they had uh, over uh, Sisera. and, uh, And they had 40 years in which the land was at rest. And the indication is that during that time, for the most part, they were following what God wanted them to do. But then they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. They turned back to their wicked ways. They turned back to the idols. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. Verse 2, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor axe. This was at a, a time in Israel where things were very, very difficult. They weren't just being ruled by foreign armies, they were being decimated by them. They would come in and they would just destroy their crops. They would leave them with essentially nothing. And it was so bad that they were having to hide in in caves and and, uh, in the mountains. And what they could grow, they had to quickly hide it away just so that they might be able to keep a little bit to sustain their families. And we are introduced to this man, Gideon, in verse number 11. When it says, there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, which which was in Ophrah, that pertained to Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. We notice about Gideon's situation here that he was in a place of fear. He was afraid, as everybody was, that somebody was going to come in and hurt them and steal their stuff. And so he was threshing wheat and going to hide it. He was in a place of doubt. He was in a place of discouragement. He was in a place of insufficiency. He was, we would just simply say, in a very bad place. And this angel came to him, and notice what, what the angel says to him. Verse number 12, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The guy who was threshing wheat in the wine press in secret location so that he can hide it. He's the mighty man of our? Really? I I love that because I believe that what the Lord was saying to him is that I see you for what you can be if you'll have faith and follow me, not for what you are right now. Right now, Gideon, you're in a place of fear. But I want to work in your life, and I want to move you to a place of faith. And that's what God began to do in Gideon's life. And so he tells him that he's going to be the one who delivers the Israelites from the Midianites. And of course, Gideon, he's a little bit skeptical. I mean, after all, he's lived for years under the oppression of these foreign invaders. And it doesn't look like uh, that uh, they're going to get the upper hand and and, uh, be able to defeat them anytime soon. And so he, he asks for a sign. The first sign he asks for is in verse number 17. He says, If I found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not thence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And so he goes and he gets, uh, he gets a meal and he brings it back out. And it says that, uh, verse 21, the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, Lord God, for because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Here he asks for a sign. Was it wrong for him to ask for a sign? This is a great debate. When we look at this one, later when we look at the famous fleece, was it wrong for Gideon to do that? I will simply answer it this way it wasn't best. It would have been better if Gideon had simply believed God's word because God said it. But what I love about the story is that God met Gideon where he was. Gideon said, will you give me a sign? And so the Lord gave him a sign. First here with the angel in this miraculous consumption of this offering. An angel goes up in the flames and it's a very evident this was no ordinary messenger. This was the angel of the Lord. Now, God doesn't work in the same way today. He doesn't give miraculous signs by suspending the laws of nature for us. But you know what the Lord does do for us today? To help us along? To grow our faith? To give us wisdom? You know what He does do? He answers our prayers. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. In James 1 5, if any of you lack faith, let him ask of God, which gives to all men liberally and upbraideth God, and it shall be given him. I'm not going to tell you that you can set out a literal fleece and do what Gideon did and expect God to do the same thing for you because God doesn't work that way. But God does answer prayer, and God does guide his children, and God does want our faith to grow. And then we see in verses 23 through 32 the very first thing that Gideon did before he goes out and attacks the Midianites. We'll get there in just a moment. But before he goes there, you know what the first fight that God called him to fight was? It was against a defenseless statue. See, God knew where Gideon was. He knew that Gideon needed some help along the road. He needed to... A little bit of encouragement. And so the first thing that God led him to do was to go and to destroy the idol of Baal. Let's go uh, just for sake of time here. Verse 25. It came to pass the same that like the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father had, and cut down the grove that is by him. So, So Gideon's dad had set up a a worship center for Baal, right? So that just tells you how how influenced Israel was by the idolatrous cultures around them. Gideon's own family had a Baal worship center. And he tells Gideon, go take a bullet, and you're going to go and you're going to destroy that statue of Baal. All right, I'm thinking, I'm Gideon. All right, I can do that. Middle of the night, everybody's asleep, nobody will see me do it, and I'm pretty sure that statue can't fight back. So I'll go do it. So he goes and he does it. He tears down the statue, he destroys the grove. And it says in verse 27, Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And you know, when he did this, it began... To change the hearts of the people, starting with his own father. The next day, everybody got up and they realized, oh my goodness, somebody has destroyed our idol to Baal. I mean, that would be pretty disturbing if you got up one day and somebody had killed your god, right? That's, that's exactly what they're thinking. Somebody destroyed our god. And so they come and they find out that it was Gideon uh, and uh Verse number 30, the men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son that he may die because he has cast down the altar of Baal because he hath cut down the grove that was it." And I love what, what Gideon's dad says in response. Now notice this, it's very important. Who set up that idol? Gideon's dad. It wasn't free either. I'm sure he had to pay good money to buy it, have it made, to have the workers put up all this sort of stuff. He had a lot invested in it, we would say. But notice what... His response was, verse 31, Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning, If he be a god, let him plead for himself. Because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. You know what that was? That was a change of heart on the part of Gideon's dad. He said, you know what? If Baal's such a great God, let him defend himself. Will ye say, I love that, that question. Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? You know the thing about every false god, whether we're talking about literal idols, whether we're talking about the gods, little g that we might worship, like fame, fortune, and... Uh, you know, pleasure and all the different things that could take God's place in our life. You know the thing about all of those is we end up having to save them. We we end up having to save our gods because they are threatened by this outside force and that outside force and we have to step in and protect our gods. Little G. What a big difference between the false gods and the one true God. He's the one who stepped down to save us. And so Gideon here gets a new nickname, Jeroboam. He becomes known as the Baal fighter. And so this was the first step that he took. The next step that God's going to call him to take is, is much bigger and much bolder. Verse 33 of Judges chapter 6, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east ...were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer Ezra was gathered after him. Now he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet him. And so Gideon now is assembling an army. And sometime shortly after these events, Midian is going to gather to meet them to assault Israel... But this time, instead of hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat to hide it, Gideon is leading an army. God took him from fear to faith. You know, we talk about making a step of faith or making a leap of faith. I'm afraid sometimes that language discourages us. I don't believe that God wants us to jump across the Grand Canyon, as it were, I think our faith grows one little step at a time. That all we have to worry about is, what is the next step that God wants me to take? And by taking one step after another, eventually we'll look back and we'll see, wow, we've really covered a lot of distance. God wants us to have faith. God wants us to follow Him. And God will work in our lives to do that, to build that faith. And when we respond with obedience, we see God do wonderful things, like we're now going to see in Judges chapter 7. So that brings us up to speed where we're at in the story. We come to Judges chapter 7 and we read about the actual fight between the Israelites and the Midianites. How many of you are sports fans in here of some sort? Any kind of organized sports? A few of you day, Very good. I'm a sports fan. I am not a fan of the politics of sports. That's another story. But I love watching sports. I love a good upset story. In sports, an upset story is when one team is playing another team and they're supposed to lose badly. They're the lowest ranked team, and they, they just haven't been able to get their act together all season. But all of a sudden, they come out in this game, and out of nowhere, they just demolish the other team. Everybody was expecting this team to go down in a, a horrible defeat, but they end up winning against the superior team. What a wonderful story that is. We read about that in the news sometimes. Uh, March Madness is coming up. I might get to watch a few games. I love watching college basketball. It is one of the organized sports that I do actually enjoy watching. And uh, every year it seems like in the, in the bracket, you've got one team that comes out of, uh, out of nowhere. You know, you've got like the West Tulsa Gophers or something. It's like, who are these people? How do they even make it in the tournament? Sometimes they get like all the way up to the Sweet 16, and they're like, I don't know who they are, that's a pretty cool story, right? Well, this in Judges chapter 7 is one of the coolest upset stories of all time. Because God took a ragtag bunch of discouraged Israelites and He gave them an incredible victory over an overwhelmingly larger force. You know, in life, it may seem to us sometimes that failure is inevitable. We may be faced with a situation and we may think that there's no way we can win in this. Spiritually, we sometimes feel like the devil is just, he's just having his way with us. He's just thrashing us. But know this, that if you are on God's side and if you're willing to have faith and follow him, you are the winner. You already are a victor in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will get to enjoy that victory over the enemy and God will get glory from it if you will have faith and follow Him. Let's see how this is illustrated in the story of Gideon from Judges chapter 7. Look with me at verse number 1. Then Jeroboam, who was Gideon and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel bought themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people, twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Number one, in keeping an outline, let's notice this intentional reduction. So Gideon has amassed this force of 32,000 Israelite soldiers. Seems like a pretty good number. Mm -hmm. However, the Midianites, we learn later, numbered 135,000. That means that the Israelites were already initially outnumbered about four to one. So there were four, approximately four Midianites, every one Israelite. Those aren't good odds. Listen, if you're going to be going into this kind of a battle like they did in the Old Testament, where the vast majority of it was hand-to-hand combat, you want it to be at least even, right? One to one. Preferably, you wanted to be on the top side. You wanted to have more soldiers than the enemy. Israel was in the opposite position. They were already outnumbered four to one. And did you notice what God said in verse number two? He said to Gideon, you got too many guys. Notice what he said. The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. I'm sorry, Gideon, you've got too big of an army. Now, you're Gideon. What are you thinking right now? You're probably thinking, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't have an advanced degree in calculus, but there's four times as many of them as us. What do you mean, Lord? We are too many. But notice how God said it. He said Lest Israel want themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand is saved. You've got too many guys, Gideon, because if you take all these guys into the war, when I give you the victory, you may be tempted to brag that you won the victory. And you may forget that I'm the one who gives victory. And so, here's what you need to do, Gideon. You need to stand up before all 32,000 men and say, if any of you are scared, go home. So Gideon does that. Again, you're Gideon standing before this huge crowd of men. Say, all right, fellas, if any of you are scared, God said you can go home. You're crossing your fingers hoping nobody knows. But what happens? The Bible tells us that 22,000 turn around the left. Two-thirds. Of his fighting force. Gone. He's now down to 10,000. He has now outnumbered 13, 13.5 to 1. It is now 10,000 Israelites against 135,000 Midianites. I'm getting, I'm thinking, okay, this just got way harder. But Lord, it's what you want us to do. It's what we're going to do. What next? we find out what the Lord says next in verse 4. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. What? Bring them down under the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, That same shall go with thee, And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, The same shall not go. So he brought down the people to the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, likewise everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent and retained those 300 men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So here's, here's what God told him to do. He said, all right, still got too many. Take your whole army down to the river and let them have a drink. Whatever men I say to set to one side, set them to one side. The other men set them to the other side. So they go down there it says, all right, fellas, get a drink. Most of the men, in fact, 9,700 of the men, got down on their knees just like this and stuck their face all the way down into the water to get a drink. Now, why would they do that? They probably didn't have a camelback water bottle or you know, anything like that. They didn't have a nice chervis. They didn't have uh, 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 any of the fancy water bottles we have today. So they were going to drink something, they had to get the water to their mouth and the mouth to the water. So they just bent over and they took a drink. 300 of the men were a little bit weird. Signs so that they lapped the water like a dog. And what they did is they actually reached down and they didn't get down on their knees. They just scooped up some water in their hand and then they would drink it like this. Scoop and they would drink and they would scoop and they would drink. So those guys were the odd guys out. God said, separate them out. You have 300 on this side, you have 9,700 on this side. You're Gideon. Which group do you pick? The 9,700, right, Lord? Nope. The 300. Now, people have speculated, you know, why did God pick those guys? You know, was it because that? You know, the way they were able to drink, they were able to be more vigilant and watch? I, I don't know. The passage doesn't say that directly. The overarching purpose here was to reduce the number ridiculously low. Because now Gideon has 300 men to fight against the 135,000. That is a ratio of 450 to 1. Every one of those men in a traditional battle would have been expected to kill 450 of the Midianites. Was that possible? Well, we read of some of David's mighty men. Uh, one guy in particular slew 600 at one particular time. And all Shamgar? His ox go? Yeah, it was feasible. It was possible, you might say. But these guys weren't exactly David's mighty men. And now Gideon has this tiny, ridiculously small army. Can you even call it an army at this point? And God says, that's what we're going to work with. It was an intentional reduction. Because God said, I want this victory to be a victory that only I get the credit for. Next we see in Genesis chapter 7 some providential encouragement. An interesting event takes place in verses 9 through 15. That night the Lord came to Gideon and said, arise, get thee down unto the host for I've delivered them into thy hand verse number 10, but if thou fear to go down, go thou with pure thy servant, go with go thou with pure thy servant down to the host and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thy hand be strengthened to go down to the host. So God comes to him and says, all right, Gideon, tomorrow you're going to tackle. but if you're afraid to do that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant. And I want you to go and infiltrate the camp of the Midianites in the middle of the night. And what you hear there will be a great encouragement to you. Now God said, if you are afraid, then do this. So you know what Gideon did? He did it. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, you look at the odds here and what you're facing. Yeah, I can use all the encouragement I can get. Again, I love this about Gideon's story. That All throughout the story, God is constantly doing things to encourage him. Here's an incident incident of that. So they go down. Verse 12. The Midianites, and Malachites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. The tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped. And returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. He goes down into the camp. He and his servant do. And they creep up to this tent. And they hear a couple of guys talking. And one said, Dude, I just had the weirdest dream. I, I just dreamed that that this this loaf of barley bread came rolling down the hill and just absolutely smashed one of our tents to pieces. That's a little weird. You know what the other guy says, Gideon? His servant are listening to this. The other guy said, "Oh no." You know what that means? That means Gideon's going to kill us all. It means that God is going to deliver us into his hand. We're doomed, in essence. And you know what? God worked all that out providentially just to encourage Gideon. Just so that he could hear that. You think about the having the dream, the timing of it, the perfect timing, so that when Gideon got there, he overheard this. All of this was God working to encourage Gideon. Say, Gideon, you're going to win because you're having faith and you're following me. So what did Gideon do? He worships, he returns to the little ragtag bunch, 300 Israelites, and says, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And now we come to number three, the unconventional plan. One of my favorite parts of this story. All right. Help me out here. Some of you guys especially some of you that were here this weekend. I saw you in the shooting competition. Think with me. You're going into battle. You are enormously outnumbered. What kind of weapons are you taking with? You? All right? Now, let's not put this modern day. Let's go back in Gideon's day. So just the weapons they had there. What kind of weapon do you want? Somebody tell me something you want to take with. You. All right, bow and arrow. Excellent. Really reach out and touch somebody, right? Good one. What else? A what? Catapult. Catapult. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's grab some catapults. Good old-fashioned trebuchet. Launch some boulders at those guys. What else? Javelin. Yeah. I want you over there when I stab you. Very good? What else? You're brave. (laughs) But no, he's he's got a very good point there. You know, some of David's mighty men were known for how good they were at slinging stones. They could sling right hand, left hand. They could hit a a hair's breadth, you know. And uh, don't forget what David did with his little slingshot, right? All right, slingshot. That's a great one. What else? Speak up. I'm a little hard here. Sword. Sword. That would be a great one. Let's grab a sword. All right, what else? Shield. Excellent. Going into battle, hand-to-hand combat, you want a shield. Alright, these are all great ideas. We're going into battle, let's gear up, let's get all the weapons we can. I'm having extras of everything, you know. I I mean, I'm going in there, I've got the spear, I've got the sword, I've got the shield, I've got a short knife, I've got a bow and arrow, I've got a pocket full of rocks, and anything else that I can get a hold of. But what did Gideon, verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. I need a Gideon. Who would be a Gideon? One of my young men. Who wants to be a Gideon? You're all like, I don't know what you want to do. I said young man. <laughs> Andrew, you look great, Gideon. Come on, come on, let's give him a hand all right so here's Gideon he is a a come on up here he is a a warrior for God he's going to go into battle and I'm going to arm him right now all right I want you to stand right here face the face the congregation all right you ready you are going to have to kill at least 450 guys all by yourself so here's your weapons you get a pitcher? You get a torch? <clears throat> and you get a trumpet. There you go. Are you scared yet? Are you intimidated? He is armed for battle. Now, you run at the Midianites like that. What are they going to do? They're going to die laughing. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. So he gives them... What does he give them? He gives them a trumpet. Hold oh, the trumpet for everybody. Right? He gives them an empty pitcher and a lamp within the pitcher. Only it wasn't a backlight. It would have been like just a little lantern type thing. But listen, he said in verse 17, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that... As I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpet also on every side of all the camp and say, "The sword of the Lord and of Gideon." So Gideon and the hundred uh, men that were with him came to the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. They had but newly sent the watch, and they blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and brake the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, "The sword of the Lord and of Gideon." So you had your trumpet in your right hand. That's good. That's how it's supposed to be. And I hold it on the side here, just like that. And uh, all right, so on the count of three, I want you to blow the trumpet, and then I want you to say, "The sword of the Lord and of Gideon." One, two, three. <laughs> you gotta go forward. get to it. Ah, there you go, I sword of the Lord and Nogidea. Sword of the Lord of Gideon. Louder! Sword of the Lord and Oginean! Sword of the Lord and O'Gineon. Are you scared yet? <laughs> no, not yet. No, not yet? Okay, thank you very much. Let's give him a hand So you see why I call it an unconventional plan And in a lot of ways, I see that this is like Joshua in the battle of Jericho. Remember, because God said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to march around the city once and then go back home. You're going to do that for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. And then you're going to blow a trumpet and shout. And if you're one of the men in Joshua's army, you're going to probably be thinking, all right. And then we attack the city, right? No, then God is going to deliver the city of your hand. Very unconventional plan. Same thing here. Gideon says, All right, here's a trumpet, here's a lantern, here's a pitcher. We're going to divide up into three companies, we're going to surround the enemy, and at the signal, we're all going to break the pitcher so that the lamps are exposed, and we're going to blow the trumpet. So that when the enemy looks up, they will see 300 lights all around them, and they will hear 300 different trumpets. And when we do that, God's going to give us the victory. I want to just pause and and commend those 300 men whose names we do not know, who were willing to follow Gideon by faith. I don't know if I would have had that much faith. I don't know if I, but what I would have said, Gideon, you're crazy, I'm going home. But these men followed too. And so they go and they surround the enemy, they blew the trumpets, they break the pitchers, they held their lamps in their left hand, their trumpet in the right, and they yelled, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And notice with me finally the incredible victory. <coughs> And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. I'm looking at verse 21. And all the host ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets. And the Lord said, Every man soared against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Beth in Zeretath and to the border of abel Meholah unto Tabak. In the middle of the night, the army is awakened. By this noise, and they look out their tents and they see all these lights and they hear all this yelling and they see or they hear all the trumpets. And the Bible says they got so scared they started fighting one another. This was mass hysteria. One of the things that the Lord might have used to create this mass hysteria is. The fact that oftentimes a a single troop would be led by one man with a trumpet and a torch, and so when they saw three hundred torches and heard three hundred trumpets, they may have thought, "Oh, there's three hundred not not that there's three hundred guys, but there's three hundred different tr- uh, you know bodies of men that are coming after us, thousands upon thousands, possibly." was that was going through their mind, they got so scared as they're running through the night, it's mostly dark, they began to run into each other, they began to get scared, they began to fight each other, and they began, the Midianites began to kill themselves. In verse 23, the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh, pursued after the Midianites, and Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters, unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Horeb and Zeb. And they slew Orab upon the rock Orab and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Horeb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. This was an incredible victory. And who can we only give the credit for? it to God. Because humanly speaking this doesn't make sense. The 300 men could initiate a battle that results in the destruction of 135,000. As we read the story, once the Midianites started fighting one another, they quickly sent messengers to all of the surrounding Israelites and said, come down to the battle and help us. Let's pursue them. God's going to give us the victory. And they come down and they just, they begin to chase them and they kill two of their key leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Aren't you glad right, your parents didn't name you, seeing people? They killed these two men and as gory as it sounds, they brought their heads to Gideon on the other side. This was a certain victory that God worked in their lives. So what do we take away from this? Well, all of these stories in the Old Testament were written for our learning so that we could have hope. So that we could Be encouraged as we live for the Lord. What what can we take away from this? I believe that this story is just a wonderful illustration of what God, the kind of thing that God can do in our lives when we're willing to have faith and follow Him. Even if you are enormously outnumbered. Even if you have been reduced to next to nothing. You know, sometimes God has to take us through a time of reduction in our life. God has to humble us. And the thing about being humbled is it's humiliating. That's not a comfortable process to go through. That's not an enjoyable experience. But sometimes God will send us through that time of intentional reduction because He wants to do something in our life that He will get all the glory But with that, I'm so thankful that He will also give us providential encouragement. He's not just going to break us down and leave us there. He may break us down, but it's at that lowest point that He will meet us there, and He will lift us back. He will encourage our hearts in, in so many different ways. Providentially, God will send people into our lives who, are, who will encourage us. I'm so thankful the Lord does this for me so many times. Just recently, I, I'm going to tell you, I was, I was having one of those times where I was just a scourge. And somebody came along. They didn't know they were doing this. But somebody came along and they said something kind to me. It was just genuine, just wanted to be nice. And you know what? The Lord used that comment just to lift my spirits, just to encourage my heart, just to let me know that God is still at work in my life. And God will do that for us. Yes, sometimes there will be the intentional reduction, but then there will also be The providential encouragement. And that helps us because if we're honest about it, what God has called us to do to live like Christ and to to be a witness in this world and to be a testimony and and to be uh, godly and, and what God has called us to do to the world seems like an unconventional plan. The world says if you want to be happy, this is what you do. You get famous, you get rich, you become influential, you have everybody bowing to you and you'll be happy. That's what the world says, but God says, No, that's not how you do it. If you want to, if you want to be truly blessed, if you want to have true joy, if you want to have true happiness, you need to humble yourself and live like the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we are willing to have faith and follow God's plan and say, Yes, Lord, I will do it. I know it seems crazy to the world and to my flesh, but it's what you said, and I will do it. What we will see in our life is an incredible victory. That doesn't mean that we get to sit back and do nothing. Gideon and his men still had to fight a fight, didn't they? But they saw God give them a victory that day. And God got all the glory for it. God wants to work in your life in such a way that He gets all the glory for what is done in your life. And you will just have faith and follow Him. My heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. These old Bible stories that many of us know so well contain some of the most wonderful words of encouragement and such wonderful kernels of truth there for us. And I wonder tonight, are you a Gideon? Maybe you're a Gideon in Judges chapter 6, living in fear. And I tell you, God wants to help you move from that place of fear to the place of faith. Maybe you're in the middle of the road there. You've taken some steps in the right direction, but there's still a long road way to go. You're still struggling with some doubts. You're still struggling with some things. And I tell you, God wants to help you. He'll meet you where you are. Help you take the next step. Maybe some of you are getting in at the end of chapter 7 enjoying the victory. Can I say, praise God for that. Are you giving Him the glory for it? Don't take credit for it. You didn't do that. God did it. He brought you to where you are. Give Him all Wherever you're at in your journey tonight, we can learn from the life of you and how God wants to work in our life. Give us victory if we'll have faith and follow Him. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word tonight. Thankful for the encouragement that we get. Lord, I pray that you would work in us and through us to glorify yourself, to grow our faith. We would be willing to obey and to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in victory. I pray these things in Jesus' name.